Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today and preach on the greatest comeback in history. You know, I, I was thinking about this in, um, in, um, during that video that we saw. I, I, I thought about history and about how no matter who you are, because it talks about how the life of Christ affects every person who's ever lived. And, and if you think about it, even today, Every person, every day is impacted by the life of Christ, no matter what they believe or if they believe in him or not. Because think about it, what's, what's the date? Anybody know the date? <laughs> April something, that's good. April 9th, what? 2023. 2023, what? A.D., what's A.D.? Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. Everything before Jesus, all of history before Jesus is B.C., before Christ. Every day since Jesus has been Anno Domini. That's Latin for in the year of our Lord. So every day, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, when you write down the date, April 9th, 2023, it's in the year of the Lord. Even the atheist, when he writes down a date, that date is declaring... (laughs) The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most important person uh, who ever lived. His life split history wide open and is changing lives still today. That's why I'm preaching on the greatest comeback in history. Think about it. We all love a good comeback story. Story about somebody who had been beaten down or overwhelmed or who came out of nowhere or uh, out of obscurity, out of seemingly hopeless situations, and, and beat the odds. And you can see comebacks in every area of life. Probably one of the most uh, usual ways we think about it and see about it is in, in sports. I, I think back to Super Bowl 51 in, in 2017. It was the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. Uh, I'll never forget it. The Atlanta Falcons were beating the cheating, I mean, the New, the New England Patriots. <laughs> 28 to 3, midway through the third quarter, and, and Deb and I were out, we were at a member, church member's house with a whole lot of us over there at a Super Bowl party, and, and that's the moment we left because we thought this game is over. However, the Patriots scored 25 consecutive points to tie the game in the final seconds of regulation, and then in overtime, they went on to win that game in the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Politically, the king of the comeback was probably Abraham Lincoln. Uh, if you've read his story, he failed in two vi- business ventures. He was elected twice to public office, but he was defeated eight times. Time after time after time after time, Lincoln was defeated for public office. But then he made the political comeback of all time when he was elected the 16th president of the United States. In business, some of y'all been around long enough to remember this, that the Chrysler Corporation, they take the prize as one of the biggest comebacks in business. They, they were a very profitable automobile uh, builder from, the, from their inception in 1924, 50 years into the 1970s. But in the 70s, they started having major financial problems. It looks like they were going to go under. And they, they hired Lee Iacocca from Ford. And some of y'all remember the the TV commercials he used to do years ago. And with the help of the, the government, they secured a $1.5 billion in loans and tax uh, incentives. They introduced new vehicles, including, for the first time, the famous or infamous 
no matter, depending on how you look at it, minivan. And that turned them around. Their comeback was so strong that within three years, they paid off all of that debt and they bought American Motors, the maker of Jeep. It's an incredible comeback story. I could go on and on with comeback stories from all walks of life. I could go on and on with stories, even the people in this room who've gone from, from bankruptcy to prosperity, from addiction to freedom, from sickness to health, uh, uh, all these amazing comeback stories, but all those comebacks, all those stories of all time put together pale in the light of the greatest comeback in history. That's the comeback we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he came back from the dead. There's never been a comeback like the one that took place on that first Easter morning. And that comeback tells us that no matter how dark things may seem, there is always hope. And as Pastor Deb said, nothing's over until Jesus says it's over. I love 1 Peter 1.3 that says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy. See, we all need mercy. We need God's grace and we need God's mercy. God's grace has given you something you don't deserve. Salvation. Anything you get from God is a gift of grace. It's not because you earned it. God's mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. Because we all deserve eternal punishment for, for, for sin. But in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. You're born physically, but born again is born again spiritually, made alive in Christ, coming out of darkness into light, uh, into the kingdom of, of, of his dear son. He's given us a new birth, and he birthed us into a living hope. Isn't that awesome? I love that. A hope that is alive. And how did he do that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we have hope. That's why we have faith. That's why people all over this planet are gathered together today on this morning to celebrate the greatest comeback of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that what we now consider to be a victorious defeat of death was at the time considering, considered at first on the day he was crucified a humiliating loss for the Messiah. After three years of earthly ministry, Jesus was arrested for his claim of being the son of God. He had preached the good news of the kingdom of God and he went everywhere doing good and healing all of those who were sick and he performed many miracles on his way to the cross. But religious leaders wanted Jesus dead because of the threat he brought to their control. And political leaders, the Roman government wanted him dead because he was gaining this following and they thought he'd be a threat to their government. And Satan wanted to kill Jesus because he wanted to rule the earth. And so the crucifixion was the confluence, the coming together of all three of these powers that took place when Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up between two thieves, bloody, mocked, scorned, and shamed. John, the book of John, gives us the final account of his life, and Jewish leaders captured Jesus while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. They took him to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and then he was taken to the Roman governor. His name was Pilate, and John 19 says this. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We'll always have the scriptures on the screen. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
This wasn't just a little whipping. This was with a, like a cat of nine tails that had bone and, and metal and things in it that just literally ripped a person apart. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, not gently placing it there, but pressing it down into his scalp. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, to the people, Here's the man, and as soon as the chief priests and officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate said, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no fault in this man. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And there's another scripture that says, because he claimed that, he claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to be God. So they went back and forth. The political government, the religious government went back and forth until John 19, 16 says, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull where they crucified him. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Remember, he said to them, no man can take my life from me. I willingly give it. He gave up his spirit. And I want you to notice that in this passage that numerous times it says, and the scripture was fulfilled. Well, the first thing I want you to see today is this. The resurrection was prophesied thousands of years earlier. One of the reasons we know it's true is because it had been prophesied for thousands of years. One of the unique and fascinating aspects of the Bible is that no other religious literature has the accuracy of fulfilled prophecy. This book is like no other book. I got an office full of books in there, and my house is full of books, and I got books under this stage, and there's books everywhere, and I've read a lot of books, but there's no book like this. This is the living Word of God. And some people think, well, what does an old book written thousands of years ago have to do with me? You missed the point because God, the Bible says this book was breathed by God. He spoke it to men as they wrote. And God is an eternal God, which means God is outside time. God knows the end from the beginning. And when God wrote this book, he was writing it for people back then. He was writing for people a thousand years ago. He's writing for people today, and he's writing for people yet to come. And this book is relevant to all people of all time because it is the living living Word of God. And one of the reasons we know that is because the amazing prophecies that have been fulfilled, hundreds and hundreds of the future events were predicted in the Bible, years, hundreds and thousands of years before they happened, all with 100% accuracy. Just concerning Jesus, the Messiah alone, there were 300 prophecies in the Bible given by 30 prophets over thousands of years, 
all which came to pass in one person, Jesus Christ. No other person who has ever lived and no other person who will ever live will have those prophecies come true in their life. This shows the supernatural origins of Jesus Christ and of his word, the Bible. Romans 16, 25 through 26 Six says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time, but now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, so we see there God's eternity having to do with prophecy, God knowing all times when he, when he spoke the words, God commanded that this message is made known to all nations, all people groups, all, all ethnos, all ethnicities everywhere so that they might to believe him and obey him. It's not enough just to believe. And with great detail, God singled out his son, Jesus Christ, from anyone who's ever lived, past, present, and future. Listen, the Bible predicts his exact lineage, what people he would come through. The place, time, and manner of his birth, how he would minister, how people would react, how he would die. The Bible talked about Jesus dying by crucifixion, and that prophecy was written, written 800 years before crucifixion began to be practiced by the Romans. Pretty incredible. The amazing thing is that all these prophecies of the Messiah were made at least 400 years before he was born. Now, you could possibly find one or two prophecies fulfilled in other men, but not all 300. It would be like somebody predicting today who will be the president of the United States in 500 years. Who they would be, where they would be born, who their parents would be and their whole genealogy, who that would be, what they would do before becoming president, what they would do as president, where they would live and how they would live, how they would die. And by the way, it's going to be a way of death that none of us have ever invented yet. That would be impossible with man, but possible with God. Now listen to this. I'm going to get a little technical here, but hang with me. The science of probability says that just, just the chance of just eight, just eight of those 300 prophecies, the messianic prophecies, prophecies about Jesus, eight of them coming together, uh, coming to pass in one individual is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one in 100 quad billion. You got millions, you got billions, you got trillions, you got... Uh, quadrillions, whatever it is. It's beyond my capacity to understand. The chances of 48, 48 of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. I wrote that number out so you can see what it looks like. That's 48 of the 300. So the odds of all 300 coming to the past and one person are so staggering, and I'm going to help you try to understand it. If you took silver dollars and laid them all over the face of Texas, that's 263 square miles, silver dollars everywhere, they would cover the state two feet deep. Okay? Take one of those silver dollars, mark it with a magic marker and put a dot on it, Put it somewhere, anywhere you want in the state, and then mix the whole thing up. 
blindfold a man, turn him several times around, tell him he can travel as far as he wishes anywhere in the state, but he can only pick one silver dollar, and it has to be the one that was marked. What's the chance of him getting the right one? One in a zillion. The same exact chances that the prophets had in writing these prophecies and having them come true in one man. That, that is, but with God, with God, the prop, probability was, was it's going to happen because, because he's God. He sees all things and he speaks, the, speaks things before they happen. And so this fulfillment of messianic prophecies proved that God inspired the writing of the Bible. It could not happen any other way. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God's word is true and that Jesus Christ is the one and only way of salvation. That's why his comeback is the greatest in history. Secondly, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. The story of his final days reveals that all these prophetic scriptures written about him had come to pass, had come to fruition. And what many people saw as a failed plan, well, he died, was actually part of God's will all along. And his final words, as we read, his final words from the cross were, It is finished. And when he was finished, as he, hung up the, as he hung on the cross, he gave up his spirit, he died. And to many, they thought they had got him. They thought they had defeated him. The evil one thought he had finished Jesus. The Roman soldiers thought they had finished Jesus. The religious elite thought they had finished Jesus. However, it is finished that didn't mean it was over. He knew that he had fulfilled the scripture. He knew who he was. And he knew what he had truly finished. He knew he had finished God's plan to save all of us from our sin and, to, and death and to bring freedom and salvation to people's lives. And so Roman soldiers came to check to see that these three men were dead. And, and when they came, the other two weren't yet, but Jesus was already dead. And one man thrust a spear into his side as, to see if he was dead or not. <clears throat> Excuse me. And water and blood poured out, which showed that he was dead. And so I'm sure many of those who were at the foot of the cross were, were distraught. They thought it was over. The disciples thought it was over. The man who they believed in, the, the one they thought was sent by God, had been killed. But many were overjoyed. The Pharisees, the Romans, Satan, all thought they had won. It looked like all hope had been lost. The plan of God had been set back. But when Jesus said, it is finished, what he actually meant was he accomplished everything the Father sent him to earth to do. He accomplished everything necessary for your forgiveness, for your salvation, for your eternal life. And after he was crucified, they laid his body in a tomb. And three days later, early in the morning, some women came to the tomb to finish anointing his body for burial. They, were, they thought he was dead. They were resigned to the fact that he was dead. They were anointing him for burial. But to their surprise, the tomb was empty. Luke 24 says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They weren't lost. They knew which tomb he was in. They went back to the same one. The disciples didn't steal his body. They were the ones looking for him. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes, that's angels. We, we saw them up here this morning. <laughs> Great job, guys. 
They gleamed like lightning, stood beside them, and in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Jesus told them that over and over, and they never got it. Jesus told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but three days later I'm coming back. They saw him die, they saw him buried, they forgot about the three days. But of all the images that could possibly demonstrate the hope that we have in Christ and the risen Savior, the empty tomb does it best. I, I could talk to you about all the, the reasons we believe in resurrection. I could talk to you about how how. If you read in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talked about everybody that saw Jesus after he was resurrected. He was seen by the women on that day. Then he, he was seen by the 12, the disciples. Then the Bible says he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. That's more than people that's in this room. Now, if I showed up at court one day and we were having a trial and I brought in 500 witnesses who saw it, I think the preponderance of evidence would be on my side. Then he makes a statement. Then he appeared to James. Why do you single out James? James was the brother of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus' own brothers did not believe that he was the Son of God. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. They thought, that shows you, you know, a lot of people try to think Jesus did miracles and stuff as a kid and all this stuff. No, he was just a normal kid who grew up. And he grew in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They did not believe in him. In fact, even in the Bible, when he was doing his ministry and out ministering to people, they went to him and said, what is your problem? You're crazy. You need to come back home and stop all this. Did you know that James became an apostle wrote a book of the Bible and became the leader, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem? What changed James from an unbeliever to a believer preaching the gospel, leading a church, writing under the anointing of God a book of the Bible? What changed him as he saw his brother alive after he saw him dead on a cross? And the truth is that Jesus' death on the cross was not a setback like anyone thought, but it, it was necessary for Christ to make a holy comeback and defeat sin and death once for all. And if Jesus could overcome the finality of death, what can he not overcome in our lives? <laughs> Nothing can withstand his power. And I pray today that he would fill you with audacious hope, hope beyond hope, that you would trust him, believe him, and have hope in him because until, until he says it's over, it's not over. And the main thrust of the New Testament is that because of the greatest comeback in history, our lives can be changed. That's because, number three, the resurrection provides salvation for all who believe. I know some people think it's for everybody. 
It's potentially there for everybody. And Jesus died for everybody. But he said, you must be born again. He said, you must repent of your sin and place your faith in me. And this Resurrection Sunday reminds us of the mercy and the grace of God that makes forgiveness and salvation possible for all of us who believe. Listen, we cannot earn forgiveness. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. You could do nothing but good for the rest of your life, and you couldn't pay for the least of your sins. We can't do it. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But it was the sacrificial death of Jesus on a cross that gives us new life and rescues us from sin and the ultimate death and gives us eternal life. And as we place our faith and our hope and our trust in his resurrected life, we are made new. We are forgiven. And you too can experience the resurrection power and life of God. And listen, Our faith is not just built on the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us. Our faith and our hope is built on the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. The resurrection would not have been possible without the cross, but the cross would have been meaningless without the resurrection. What do I mean by that? Rome executed thousands and thousands of people by crucifixion. But only one of those is the savior of the world because only one of those made the greatest comeback of all time and rose from the dead. The resurrection proves that Christianity is true. It proves that Jesus is who he says he is. And and the resurrection is what sets apart Christianity from all other religions. And some people mistakenly believe, and I heard him say, all all religions are basically the same. Sorry, Sorry, you're showing something right there. You're showing the fact that you haven't really studied out religions because they are vastly different. Vastly different. Christianity is the only religion that has a savior. Christianity is the only religion that has a cross and a resurrection. Christianity is the only religion not based on your works. Every other belief system on the planet says by your works you're going to make it. Even people who are, 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 are secular and have no religion, somehow they, they, believe, they're gonna, they believe in an afterlife and they're, they believe they're okay because they're basically good. Oh, really? How good is good enough? Everybody makes up their own standard. That includes them being good enough. But the Bible says all of us have sinned And we all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the visible manifestation of the glory of God on earth. We all fall short of Jesus uh, and his perfect sinless life. If you ask anybody, now, now, do you think your life is as good as Jesus? I've never heard anybody say yes. They're all going to say no. And I'm going to say, then you need a Savior. That's why he died for you. Only he was good enough. Only he was a spotless lamb. That's why he died on the cross. And only Christianity will tell you you cannot be good enough on your own. Only Christianity will tell you we have all sinned. All of us. 
All of us are in sin and without hope apart from a Savior. We need forgiveness. We need a, a, a Savior. And Christianity is the only religion whose God says, I love you so much that I'm going to give my own son to die in your place to pay for your sin so that you can live with me forever and you can live a life of joy and, and blessing on this earth. Please understand, Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. Without resurrection, there is no eternal life. How do I know that? Because the Bible actually says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 20. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're all wasting our time here today. And you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost if there's no resurrection. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, meaning not in the life to come, in heaven also, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And listen, one of the most important questions you'll ever have to face in your life is what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, at the cross, he died for our sins. And his death and his resurrection is the love of God saving us from sin and its penalty. Saving us from ourselves. Listen, we all make messes in life. We all mess up. But if we're going to get that resolved, we've got to, first of all, admit we made a mess. But so many people don't want to admit any guilt. Guilt's uncomfortable, and, and saying sorry is, is an uncomfortable word. That people would rather deny it or ignore it or justify their actions. Admitting it is painful. The feeling that we've somehow fallen short, that we've failed, kind of eats away at us, and we'll continue uh, uh, to feel that way until we deal with the real issue, which is sin. Sin. Sin means to miss the mark, to fall short of God's glory. I talked about that. Sin is also rebellion, a turning away from God, a decision to disobey him, listen, or a, de a decision to live independent of him. To live your life your own way with no thought of God. That's the essence of sins out of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone our own way. We've all done our own thing. But God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He paid the price for all of us. And there's a price for sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. You earn it. Here's what you get. You sin, boom, you die. But thank God that verse doesn't end there. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift. I got one, two, three, four, five of our grandkids here this morning, and, and we're going over to their house today for Easter, and we've got cards that they know are coming probably, and Grandma always writes this nice stuff in this, and I ask her to sign my name to it too, and, um, <laughs> and, and we put some money in it, and we're going to give it to them. All they have to do is receive it. 
They're not earning it. We're not giving it to them because they've been good boys and girls this week. We're giving this gift because we love them. And we want to bless them. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, because of his comeback, our sins can be forgiven. And the power of sin that it kept us bound, that it kept us paralyzed, that it keeps us in the same patterns of behavior and failure over and over can be broken. Because when we're forgiven, we are free, free from guilt, free from shame, free from the power that has enslaved us our whole lives, free from the fear of death. And God's love for us resulted in Jesus Christ dying on the cross. But thank God he came back from the dead. And if we receive him by faith, it changes everything. So what does the resurrection mean to you today? You might think, "Eh, Pastor Joe... Big deal. A lot of religious leaders have made a lot of claims throughout history. What's so different about Jesus? It's true. A lot of leaders have made a lot of claims throughout centuries, but they all have one thing in common. They all died, and you can visit their tombs. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God who died for our sins and the sins of the world. He claimed to give forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe in him. And after he was crucified, he was buried in a borrowed tomb in Jerusalem. I've been there. Guess what? He's not there. It's empty. In fact, show me that next slide. Is that next slide? Yeah, there's a sign up there. He is not here, for he is risen. That's the place he laid. He's not there. He's the one who said in John 11, 25 through 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The empty tomb shows us that Jesus made the greatest comeback in history. The question is, do you believe this? See, many of you are desperate for change in your life. Many of you feel powerless to change whatever you're facing right now. Some of you feel hopeless about your future. I've got good news for you. It's not over. Just as it wasn't over when Jesus died, it's not over for you. Just as it wasn't over when he was buried, it's not over for you. Because he took our sins on himself on the cross, because Jesus was raised from the dead in victory over sin and death, it's not over. God is still in the resurrection business. He can change your life. Resurrection power is still alive and well. And Jesus Christ offers you that power through his forgiveness and salvation today. He promises to cancel out your sin and clean the slate and give you a brand new start. You can start over. And faith in the comeback of Christ will result in the comeback of your life. John 3.16, the most memorized passage in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? I, I just felt led to do this. Can, can somebody bring me a chair right here? This wasn't none of my notes or anything, but I just, I just felt led to just unhook one of those chairs and bring it up here. Thank you, DeAndre. I, I just felt, thank you, I already got one. That's good. I'm going to show you the difference between belief and faith because I think it's important because a lot of people think, well, I believe, there, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe in the resurrection. Do you know Satan believes all those things? Yeah. Satan knows the Bible is the word of God. 
Satan knows that Jesus was the son of God. Satan knows that Jesus died and was buried and rose again and is coming back one day and he knows his time is short. That's why he's in the business of deceiving and deception is growing greater and greater in the world today if you haven't noticed. And Jesus says that's one of the signs of the end. And by the way, there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus coming back. And if all those prophecies about Jesus coming the first time were right, all the ones about him coming back the second time are right too. And you better be ready for it. So saying that I believe things is, is good. That's the starting place. And I can say I believe this chair will hold me up. I believe it. It looks like it's constructed well. I've sat in chairs like these many times before, and they've always held me up. I believe that chair. Can I get some people to agree with me? Will you, the, will you agree with me that this chair will hold me up? And I can pray that this chair will hold me up. And I can bring prophets in to prophesy that this chair will hold me up. I can sing songs over this chair. I believe this chair will hold me up. Come on. I believe this chair will hold me up. I believe when I sit down, the chair will hold me up. I believe the chair will hold me up. Hey, I did all that, and I've yet to exercise faith in that chair. I believe it. But I exercise faith in the chair when I entrust my whole weight on it. And you can believe all the right things about Jesus, and you should, and you must. But don't stop with this head faith. Mental assent to the truth is good, but it's not the end. It's not enough. You must entrust the full weight of your life to Jesus Christ. You must entrust... You must trust him as your Lord and Savior. Listen, this is a serious moment right here. Because some of y'all have been believers. Just stay standing and you've never exercised faith in Jesus. Giving, say I gave myself over to the chair. You've got to give yourself over to Jesus. Control of your life. Lordship, surrender. I surrendered my weight to that chair. You've got to surrender your life to Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not just Savior, Lord, you're surrendering to his lordship, to his authority, to his will, to his word. And you believe in your heart, not just in your head, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says if you would repent, 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 people, it gets a bad rap, these words, oh, I want people to repent. Yes, repent means from turning the way you're going away from God on your own, the way that's not working, and turning to him. Repentance means turning, turning to God, turning from sin, turning from going your own way and giving your life and trusting your life to him. And if you do that, you will be saved. I'm going to ask you to Bow your head all across the room. Bow your head and close your eyes. And I want us to pray a prayer together. I'm going to lead you in the prayer. You can pray after me. It'll just be kind of phrase by phrase. 
And I'm asking everybody to pray it, even those of you who are born-again believers. I'm asking you to pray out loud just for the sake of others. If you would just pray, Dear Jesus, I know you died for me. And I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead. Forgive me for my sin. I repent of going my own way. I confess my sin to you. And I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Change me. Save me. And give me new life. I believe you're my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Now just keep your, your head bowed if you would for a moment. If you prayed that prayer today, and, and this is just between me and you and God right here. If you prayed that prayer today, said, I gave my life to Christ. Just lift your hand up real quickly all, 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 all over the auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep them up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Anybody else? It's an important thing. Just doing that, just doing that expression of faith. I'm, I'm just give you one more moment. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, you can put your hand down. Church, that was about, I'm guessing, 30 people that raised their hand to, to, uh, to give their life to Christ. Let's thank him. Hallelujah. Thank you. Welcome to the family of God. And listen, listen, there's some things you need to do after that. Uh, we're going to have our prayer team down here. They can come on down. And one of the things you might want to do is come down and just say to them, hey, I gave my life to Christ today. Would you pray for me? Secondly, we're having water baptism. It's not an option. It's, it's a next step after you've become a believer to be baptized in water. And we're having that coming up soon. You saw the advertisement today. And you can get signed up for that on our app or on our, on our uh, Facebook page or wherever. You can sign up for that. And you need to get discipled. You can come on Wednesday night. We have small groups. We have discipleship groups for men. We have women. We have other groups going on. We want to help you grow in the Lord. Awesome day. Can you thank God? Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. If you need prayer for anything, these men and women of God would love to pray for you. Thanks for being here today. And uh, we're going to sing one more song, and we'll be dismissed. After the first verse and chorus, you can be dismissed. If you want to stay and worship with them, you can. If you need prayer, come on down. Let's sing.